0: It's the Hilarious World of Depression. I'm John Moe, and May is Mental Health Awareness Month. We are excited about that, and we're back with a very special episode highlighting some of the funnier moments from the show, uh, not necessarily the less depressing ones, but definitely some of the funnier ones. I am here in the studio with executive producer Kate Moose. Hi, Kate.
1: Hi, John. Really good to be here to talk directly to our listeners about supporting the podcast that has become important to them. Them. You listen to this program because it helps you in your daily life. It brings you the experiences of people who are having similar Uh, difficulties with their mental health or with the mental health of a loved one. We know that story. We care about it, and we bring it to you in these wonderful interviews. Give it your support today at hilariousworld.org slash donate.
0: And your gift today in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month and and really to support the overall mission of what we're doing on the show, trying to bring more awareness, trying to bring more attention and open dialogue to the idea of mental health and mental illness and and talking about it, really, your contribution makes our community stronger. It helps the show stay strong. It helps the show keep going. Uh, and now is the time to make your donation. It'll only take about three minutes. You just go to hilariousworld.org slash donate. That's hilariousworld.org slash donate. You can choose a thank you gift, and Kate, have you seen these these gifts that are available?
1: They're fantastic. They're so fun. We have a pair of th- the hilarious world of depression socks we, in our we blaze put the whole, orange.
0: Yeah, we couldn't put the whole title on the socks, right. so it just says thwad.
1: It it says thwad, and it doesn't say thwad balls only because feet are not <laughs> that large. Actually, right. but
0: exactly, my feet are. But uh, yeah, so we have the thwad socks. Those are available. We also have the depressed state T shirt. It's modeled after like a college shirt rooting for your alma mater at a football game, but it's from a different kind of education that you may have received. So the Depressed State t-shirt, the Thwad socks are available. Just head on over to hilariousworld.org donate. So it was like 2015, and I was sitting in my office here at American Public Media, same office that I still use today. And I had this idea of talking to comedians about depression, recording it, making a podcast. And instantly, there was a pretty substantial question that I had to deal with. And it was not easy to answer. And it's still not easy to answer. Is depression funny? I was ready for this.
2: I wasn't. I should have been.
3: (laughs) I know. It starts every podcast. I know. Depression is not particularly funny when you're going through it, but if you get just a little bit past it and you look back and the idea that you're... (laughs) you get to that headspace when you're really in the thick of it where you think you're the most worthless thing in the world and yet everybody's thinking about you <laughs> and there is something inherently funny about
2: that you know what it's it's not that funny it's it's not funny it wasn't funny when you know the depression version of women is ice cream and Bridget Jones and crying and spanks and it's not funny now okay Fuck, I want to say mine again. No, I want to no, do no, mine again. No, I think you're, it's a no, valid point. But I, I do think it's funny. I just, you know what? Depression can be funny. <laughs> <laughs> <That> <laughs> really,
0: she's really come around. No, but
2: honestly, uh, but when it, I was depression can be funny. And you know what? I don't know that I make it funny, but I love listening to people talk about it and when they when they're brilliantly funny about it, whether it's Patton Oswald or Paul F. Tompkins, I like hearing other really funny people talk about depression, but I don't think I can make it that funny.
3: Rachel Bloom handles depression with a great tool of oh, humor. I changed
2: my mind. Depression is funny. Watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. <laughs> that's super funny.
3: Chris Gathard, you're the worst handled depression really well, I Yeah, thought. but I
2: didn't think it was funny on your no, list. No, that's
0: a good point. They were really raw about it.
2: Oh, fuck. Maybe it's not funny.
0: That was John Ross Bowie and Jamie Denbo. They're married. They're both... Actors and comedy people. This is a special edition of The Hilarious World of Depression. I'm John Moe. The hilarity of depression is baked right into the name of our show, right? It's a bold proposition depression being funny. And it's so bold, in fact, that on most episodes we've made, I start the episode by questioning the idea of the show. I've been doing it since season one, episode one with Peter Sagel. Do you think? depression is funny? I think it's funny in the way that death is funny and that
4: it's not, but you cope with it by laughing.
0: And opinions vary. The closest answer to my own point of view probably came from Paul F. Tompkins. Is depression funny? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Why?
5: Well, (laughs) it's it's this absurd thing that your your own body's chemicals do to you. To make you feel sad? That's dumb. <laughs> what, what evolutionary purpose does that serve? Yes. You know what I mean? It's, it's really, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that we have that. It's bad enough we still have an appendix that does nothing. That's just just a ticking time bomb in our bodies. <laughs> but then also brain chemicals are going to, like, get mixed up the wrong way and make you feel bad. Like, that's hilarious if you think about it.
0: On today's show, highlights from our three seasons that show the fun side, the funny side, the hilarious side, the side that usually emerges out of the dark side, way at the bottom of the despair pit. There are laughs. Back when we started the show, the very first person I thought of was Maria Bamford. Maria has long shared the funny side of dealing with her various mental health conditions. Like, for instance, what mental hospitals are really like.
6: At least in my experience, I was not able to really participate in anything. Uh, there were a few extremely sad activities uh, that were uh, I remember there was an exercise class in a chair where I stood up because I was so agitated. And she said, I couldn't participate in the exercise class unless I sat down. (laughs) I assume sort of, according to some insurance uh, issue,
7: Uh
6: Um, you know, everything's, and I also write, wrote material about this, how it's like an art director came in and said, okay, we need, let's break two more chairs. Let's take eight pieces out of every puzzle. I want to have a big screen TV blaring at the loudest level, ultimate fighting, (laughs) lose the remote. No one can find it. Then in the back, let's have 40 extras waiting in line in little nightgowns um, for one single package of graham crackers.
0: Maria doesn't tour as much as a lot of other comics. She needs to treat herself more gently than that.
6: Although I would love to have the the wonderful, you know, the the machismo, you know, the, to to say, ah, I'm this, you know, yeah, I'm a road warrior. I'm a Why would you? Why would you want that? Well, it's just so you know. It's sort of the
0: is that status in comedy?
6: Oh yes, status. Guess where I performed last night? It was just it was a live birth strip club. What? No, I was not wanted. It was so confusing. Someone was having a baby while other women were taking off their clothes. Anyways, the point is, I destroyed.
0: That's Maria Bamford. I could talk to her for hours, but if I did, I would injure myself laughing. You know, laughs show up in places that you might not have ever expected. I talked to celebrity chef Andrew Zimmern, and I interviewed him just three days after Andrew's friend, the writer and TV host Anthony Bourdain, died by suicide. It was a tough interview. It was a tough time to have a conversation. But talk eventually turned to happy memories of Bourdain. And also testicles.
5: Tony used to joke a lot uh, publicly. He would say it from the stage, you know, when the wad of, you know, dried, moldy, fermented walrus anus was passed. Tony said, at least when I was drink- eating it, I was drinking. And, you know, he said, Andrew, my friend Andrew is, you know, does it sober. He said, I have absolutely no clue how that happens. Um, So, yeah, the the Guinness Book of World Records, I'm I don't has any human being eaten as many species uh, of animals, testicles as I have. I can't think of anything that
0: anybody has said after the phrase walrus anus was said in this interview, it's all just clicks
5: and whistles to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I mean, if anyone from, uh, the GWR group is, is listening, I think I should just be awarded. I think the number is up to like 56 different animal balls. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone even comes close. It seems like there would be a town festival where somebody attempted this, but no, no, wrong. because available at that town festival are only a limited number of testicles, right? From different animals that are local to there. I've traveled around the world. Yes, I mean the number of the exotic testicles you've consumed around the world. Well, just total number. I mean, unless I'd say exotic, just animals that exist only in indigenous, far-flung places. That's yeah. correct.
0: I've been in this business a long time, but I think that was the first interview I've done that included both testicle eating and the Guinness Book of World Records. Comedian Solomon Giorgio has more mundane tastes. He likes pizza, some pepperoni on there, some mushrooms, some depression. Like, depression can be funny. Like, I, like, hands down, definitely can. Like, I've.
3: Like, the fact that I've ever ate a whole pizza to myself really is (laughs) hysterical. (laughs) And that I've done it, I'll do it again. Um, Like, I've, like... Like, I've I've fallen asleep with food and woken up to leftovers and eaten it, and that in itself is a hysterical hysterical situation to be in, (laughs) regardless
0: how sad I was at the time. Have you ordered a pizza and then, like, we're talking about being performative, have you ordered a pizza and then pretended for the pizza guy's benefit that there are other people in the house that you're going to share it with? Oh, I don't play that game anymore, John. No. Uh, uh, (laughs) Like, if they try to hand me extra utensils, I'm like, no, 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 no. There's a sad person here. You keep that to yourself. (laughs) From pizza to donuts, yes, we are a high-calorie podcast, Scott Thompson, member of the legendary sketch comedy group Kids in the Hall, was on the show, and he recalled the first time he met the rest of the kids. I went to a midnight show
3: with my friend Darlene. She said, you're going to love these guys. And I remember just this moment of like, oh, that's my future. Uh, it was like love at first sight. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I went, I said to my friend, I'm going to be in that group. And so I found a donut, donut taped under my seat. And I'm like, what the hell? And then I found other seats and they all had donuts taped under them. And I thought, oh, they're, you, they need these donuts for like a bit they're going to do later. So I'm going to ruin their bit. <laughs> it's so <laughs> stupid. So I took all the donuts and I started throwing them at them. Thinking, and and I remember Bruce McCullough going, "Who the hell's throwing donuts at us?" And I was like, "It's me." (laughs) And I I just, it was like you know like I guess like a like a like a boy trying to impress a girl back, like doing a wheelie or something. I went, they have to notice me.
0: But and the boy doesn't
3: I, drive the bike over the girl in that scenario. I mean, that's basically, yeah, right. It's the boy hitting the girl and breaking her leg, and <laughs> right. then they fall in love, and they live happily ever after. <laughs> you would arrange we to meet, meet That's cute. called meet, meeting cute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in Brampton. It was your rom-com. I thought, these boys are damaged. They're going to react to <laughs> this act of violence. I mean, there's no,
0: there's no question that it's, it's violence. They invited you to join the group after that show? Yeah. No, no, no. They <laughs> were, were furious. <laughs> I was just
3: an asshole. But I remember them looking at me like, what the hell?
0: Some of the lighter moments on The Hilarious World of Depression often involve darker moments, even something as innocent as a birthday party. Here's Andy Richter.
5: You, like my birthday party, I'm never, I never have as good a time at my birthday party as I do at other people's birthday party. Yeah. Because I just don't want the fuss, you know? <laughs> and, and it all is like, it's not, it's part of who I am, but it's also part of, you know, I've been in therapy for uh, 650 years. So I know that it's all part of a neuroses too. It's all part of a, like this kind of, I don't want a fuss made about me is, uh, also because it's like it's a way in which you know some of my damage manifests itself right you know? right in uh, because it's like oh i'm i'm so humble i don't want to fuss mate about me the also in there is a little bit of get your dirty claws off of me you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So- haven't i given you enough <laughs> leave me alone
0: That's Andy Richter. Jenny Lawson is a best-selling author and blogger. She kind of captured the horrible and hilarious things that one's mind can do when she told me all about the morning she'd had.
8: On my way here to the radio station, um, I thought I need to get gas because what if I get lost on the way here and I end up at some place where gas doesn't exist anymore, which is ridiculous. But I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop and fill my, my tank up. But I already had like half the tank and I didn't want to. Um, get enough gas that it rolled over to this unlucky number that I have a problem with. So I'm like, oh, okay, I got to make sure that I take the gas out before it hits that unlucky number. But when I did, the, um, you know, the little lock that so you don't have to hold onto the gas thing, that was still on. And so when I pulled out the gas thing, it was still like spraying out everywhere. So it sprayed all over my car and all over my shoes. And then as I'm driving, I'm thinking, oh, my car is going to set on fire because I'm like... I'm covered in gas, and then, and it didn't, which was great, but then I got here, and I smell my gas, and I keep thinking, I bet this is how spontaneous combustion starts, Um, and this is what's going to happen to me, but at least I can stop worrying about how I'm going to die, and um, that I can get cremated, which is great, but then I thought about the fact that the last lady that spontaneously combusted, there's this picture of her, like, she has one perfectly formed foot that's totally not touched by the fire and I'm like, that would suck because I haven't had a pedicure in years because it makes me nervous to have strangers judge how awful my feet are and if that's the last thing that's there, that would super suck. And then I'm walking through the hall and I'm thinking, what if I spontaneously combust here in the radio station, then I take everybody down with me and I bet I'm the only person here that is silently apologizing in my head to every single person that I pass and I want to say, like, maybe you should take a smoke break outside in case I spontaneously combust, but then I think, like they're probably going to think that's a threat instead of a warning and then I'll end up in jail and I'm just trying to save people from spontaneous combustion i mean even as i was walking in here this the the texas radio texas public radio it's in the same uh, building as it's in the, like the medical center. And as I'm walking in, I'm thinking, wait, what if this is a trap? What if this is some sort of an intervention? And the whole reason that I'm here is so that they can like institutionalize me because I'm crazy. And I'm walking in and I'm like, well, thank God I at least took a shower because it's really hard to get, you know, showers in the hospital. And then I'm like, but no, I'm, I'm doing okay. And then I think, oh, if I get up here, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm here to do, um, you know, my favorite podcast and I'm a number one New York Times best-selling author, and they're like, oh, that's a delusion. You realize that, right? And I'd be like, oh, that makes more sense, actually. That makes so much more sense.
0: So, I mean, well, we arranged it so that you would be near a hospital uh, just because there's a burn (laughs) unit just, you know, so it was all one-stop shopping. We worked it out with the guys at the gas station. There was a conference call. There was a webinar, um, and it all worked out. (laughs) Nico Case is a singer and songwriter, and the songs that she writes, the lyrics that she writes, are prone to very evocative images. Our interview was no exception.
9: I just felt like a ghost in my own life. I remember being in a club in Virginia, playing with the band in Richmond, and like everybody standing around playing pool and having fun. And I was like, I wish I was having fun right now. Like, I want to be with them so bad. I just felt like this weird detached, like I was in a Ziploc bag, but with everyone, just wearing a life condom (laughs) everywhere I went (laughs) and I wanted, I didn't want to be wearing it. Yeah. I wanted to go nude. (laughs) I wanted to take the risks. (laughs) I was still wearing this shitty life condom. Depression.
0: I did not. Your mind's shitty life condom.
9: (laughs) Yeah. It's a real drag.
0: Coming up, Margaret Cho, Jeff Tweedy, Amy Mann, and Groucho Marx, sort of. And executive producer Kate Moose is here with me now in the studio. Kate, that Nico Case interview, I remember that we did that one in the green room at the Palace Theater here in St. Paul, and Nico had a concert that night, and she squeezed us in.
1: That's right. And, you know, you remember, John, that there was kind of a schedule mix-up, yep. and we, we weren't sure she'd really have enough time for the interview, but we went over there with Chrissy, and there we are in the basement of the theater, and she talked to us for like an hour and a half yes. as her as her stage crew was sort of pacing in the hallway, <laughs> yes. anxiously waiting for her to... to get over it and do a, a sound check.
0: Yeah, no, she said, this is important. We're going to do this. This interview matters. This show matters. Um, and, you know, this is something that we hear from our listeners all the time. This is an important thing to me. This show is important to me. We, we often hear about people who've banked downloads of several episodes on their phone so they can uh, go to them when they need That's them. That's right. Yep. And it's uh, it's the power of of the laughter and it's the power of the, the open conversation. It's the power to break down the the scariness of uh, depression and bring some humanity to it. And that's what you keep telling us sets this show apart. You can make your donation right now. It only takes about three minutes hilariousworld.org slash donate.
1: It's like Britt from uh, Drackett, Massachusetts, who said, I'm just a person whose depression has always been hilarious, but maybe only to me. Most of my friends have no clue what it's like. And instead of laughing with me, they get scared when I talk about it, which I do. I like listening to others who can laugh at it, too.
0: Yeah, Britt left that comment uh, after donating to support the show. And, you know, we hear from listeners Almost constantly. Every day we we get more and more messages. Uh, Joe from Portland, Oregon gave uh, this simple reason for donating. This show helped me laugh for the first time in a while. And... That is wonderful to hear. You can join Britt and Joe, so many others, by donating today to keep this show strong, keep it going. Uh, your reason for laughing can be your reason for donating. It's Mental Health Awareness Month, and now we are coming to you to to ask you to help keep this show going strong.
1: That's right. You know, another reason you can give is swag, swag merchandise. Stuff. Get yeah, stuff. need more stuff. We've got some great. Um, uh, the Hilarious World-branded items for you. One is a pair of socks, blaze orange, with little black microphones on it.
0: Yep, and teardrops,
1: too. The acronym THWAD on the foot of the soles. Yes. Those are really going to class up your act. And the other thing we have to offer is a Depressed State T-shirt, yes. just like Arizona State, Depressed State. It yeah. looks like a college tee. It's uh, clever. It will be the talk of the town, <laughs> you can get that for $10 a month as a donation. And yeah. thank you.
0: Yeah. And the socks are available at $5 a month. The t-shirt has the little hilarious World of Depression logo on the back. And I just thought of something, Kate. What's that? With the THWAD name on the, on the bottom of the socks, we're good for your soul. Oh, Z- John. I'm sorry.
1: Moving on then. Those socks, you can pick up at hilariousworld.org slash donate with your donation.
0: Let's get back to the somewhat less bleak parts of the Hilarious World of Depression. I'm John Moe. We're digging through our archives to find some funny bits. You know, our show is based in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I love living in Minnesota. And I I find it to just be a hilarious place all on its own. And you know who else loves Minnesota? Minnesota comedian and writer Guy Branham. He went to law school here. Just
10: the physical texture of Minnesota, I think, gave me some really important tools for figuring out depression, Um, because you guys have uh, like six months out of the year where life is physically depressed by the temperature.
0: God tries to kill you every year.
10: Uh, uh, Yes. I mean, uh, like, I have a a joke about that, about how, like, in Minnesota, you can be killed by outside. (laughs) <laughs> There's that weekend in May where everyone understands it is over, and everyone hits that garden so hard and makes that
0: state as beautiful as they can, because the time is now. My first springtime here, I, I moved here in March, and then on that day in May, I asked my wife, like, "Is there a 10k going on outside?" <laughs> and she said, "No, just everybody, it's just a nice day, and everybody's going running all at once.
10: Well, it was very hard for me because I came from Northern California, where spring lasts about five months. Uh Uh, And I was like, when is spring? Uh, And a girl from my law school was just like, it's six unconnected days in May. (laughs) And I had to be like,
0: all right. Guy adapted to life in Minnesota. Comedian Janelle James tried to adapt to life as a mom after her son was born. And it got a little
1: weird. I went back to work like in six weeks. And I had him in a daycare, and I just was not okay with it. <laughs> you yeah. know, I would leave work and go and at lunch and be like peering in the windows, like I was just like a fucking nutcase. You were stalking your. Baby. I was stalking my. <laughs> and at that time, we didn't have a lot of money, so it wasn't like the best daycare. I just, I just felt like shit about it. I started bringing him to work and hiding him underneath my desk. <laughs> Wow! Because our newborns, they just sleep if you're lucky. Yeah, my kid just slapped and slapped. But finally, my boss was like, "What's up with this
4: fucking baby?"
0: You, you know filed I mean? your baby in your desk.
4: <laughs> no, you know, in the not in
3: a file in a <laughs> under the space B under for your baby. Desk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like
1: breastfeeding on my desk. I was like a revolutionary if you think about it. But anyway, um, <laughs>
0: yeah. Jen Kirkman is one of our favorite people. She's been on the show a few times. Jen is a comedian, a best-selling author and a storyteller boy is she a storyteller
9: i was probably 8 or 9 or 10 can't remember and but it was directly related i mean directly to the movie the day after do you uh, remember that movie
0: this was about a nuclear war and what happened the day after the the bombs hit
9: spoiler everybody died <laughs> yeah. it was not a happy uh but anyway i you know Feel like the next day, and it probably wasn't. We went on a field trip to a place called Plymouth Plantation in Plymouth, Massachusetts, where actors pretend like they are in the 1600s. And so, what the fun thing for the kids to do was to try to get them to break characters. So, you'd go, they'd be like, I'm churning butter. And then uh, someone would ask them, Do you have a VCR? And they'd be like, What's that? And so, I heard a plane fly by really low, because I think there was some kind of naval, not naval, Air Force thing in the neighborhood, but nothing dangerous was going on, just a plane. And I did a duck and cover. I just, like, hit the ground. Wow. And and then um, I was, I, I just had the feeling of, I can't breathe, my heart's racing, feelings of unreality, where you almost feel like you're fainting. And ironically, I've never fainted, so... What I think happens when you faint is it's very quick. You don't even know you fainted, like going under anesthesia. But a panic attack feeling of unreality is you feel like you're disappearing. And so it's just the scariest feeling. And my palms were sweating, and I felt like I couldn't breathe. And it just feels like you're dying, even though I'm sure dying feels nothing like this. It's just a terror. It's an immediate terror. It is completely hormonal, um chemical fight or flight as if a dinosaur is chasing you. And I took to the ground and then I yelled at one of the pilgrims and I was like, drop your act. We're under attack or something like that. <laughs> oh, no. And I, and I had to sit on the bus. Uh, I got punished. Um, even though I wasn't the, wor- you know,
0: for making the everyone. colonialists believe that nuclear war was imminent. <laughs>
9: yeah, I taught them about nuclear war. and so then <laughs> What I, are these
0: <laughs> nuclear bombs you speak of?
9: I had to sit on the bus and I guess like those things started happening more frequently and it was always closely associated with a trauma. Like the next one I remember was my grandfather's funeral. And I had a panic attack at the after the after party. At you know, the uh, lunch whatever the You go to your aunt's house. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, whatever it's called. You're you're at your aunt's house and there's deviled eggs.
0: Hey, if you think nuclear annihilation was funny, wait till you hear this next bit about self-annihilation. Chris Gethard is an actor and comedian. He created a one-man show about his life and his struggles with depression. It played off-Broadway. It was on HBO. Chris was bullied in high
11: school. Actually, in the course of that situation, one thing I left out that I don't often tell people is, I, remember I brought a razor to school, and I remember one of the times they did it, I went into a lunchroom and tried to cut my risk cuz my plan was they'll find me and I will uh a very, very melodramatic plan of a high school freshman. I'll write this kid's name in my blood as I'm dying so he knows it was his fault. That was, like, one of the things I wanted to do. And the the part that, again, the hilarious world, right, Like, and the <laughs> Irish Catholic side of me that wants to turn, i I never forget, I brought a Bic razor. You know, like, the single-use razor, the bag that your, your parents keep in their linen closet in case a guest forgets their razor. Like, use this once and throw it away because the blade will be so dull halfway through the first shape. That's what I was trying to... I was like, why isn't is this working? Why so this you were working? actually attempting it. You were trying I, to do it. I, I had some little uh, cuts on there, but the razor was falling apart. I was like, oh. This, and I remember that incident so well. And I think that was the first time I ever tried to hurt myself, um, from what I remember. Uh, I had fantasized about it for a while. Like, well, what would happen if I did that? That would really teach people a lesson. And this kid, Scott, from my school, um, I remember having this plan of, like, he's going to feel— this is gonna fuck his life up forever when he knows he caused this. I remember thinking of it as like a revenge option. But was there more than one person named Scott in your junior
0: high? Because I'm thinking when you're writing in blood, do you oh, have to like yeah, what Scott
11: F? Look at that, Scott H. It would have been Scott H. Maybe okay. I, mean, I should have. Uh, that's true. If you'd some only poor left Scott, Scott who's
0: people like would be like,
11: Yeah, where do we some go? Scott who's like I never even met that kid. <laughs> that's Chris
0: Gethard, and I really need to introduce him to Mike Drucker one day because I think they have a lot in common. Mike's a writer and a comic. I think high school, I started to like because I was a very glum kid
3: and I was a I was a goth kid. Um, I wasn't full on goth because I could never afford all the trappings of it. But I was like, I hung with goth kid, I hung out with goth kids, and I like, you know, thought I pretended I liked gothy music because at the time that was how I got into a group of friends. Um, but I remember like even amongst goth kids, like you know, we'd talk about death, and I'd be like. I'd be like, but wouldn't it be great if we were dead? And everyone's like, no. And I'm like, I don't, why, what are we doing? What are we doing? And, you know, I had teachers who were always like, you know, you, I, I had one or two teachers who were good teachers who were like, I think you have depression. I'm like, no, I don't. That's like something you see in really bad commercials. Like, I'm not like a woman looking out through a window during a rainstorm
0: feeling bad about myself. You
3: know, I'm just, I just don't want to be alive.
0: There's something about childhood that can make for the saddest and most painful stories that also produce these weird, funny moments. Jeff Tweedy is the leader of the band Wilco. He had migraines as a kid, and he had depression. He thinks now there was a connection. At the time, doctors thought it was an allergy. I went and had
7: one of the scratch tests when I was maybe eight or nine where they scratch your back and, and uh, introduce allergens to each scratch and every one of them apparently had a reaction. So I don't know how verif- how that if that test is still used it seems like everything would have a reaction if you scratch something and put something <laughs> put some cat dander on it. I don't right, know. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Let's tear
0: your skin off and
7: put something in there. So I was but I was diagnosed as have, having an allergic uh, allergic reaction to everything, so including house dust so, uh, I was given shots twice a week for allergies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was uh, made to put my teddy bear in a jar. What? Because I was allergic to house dust. Oh, God. <laughs> so, I had a teddy bear in a jar. How long did your teddy bear have to stay in the jar? It's still in the jar, <laughs> sir. <laughs>
0: wow. Can we get Jeff a new teddy bear? Is that we'll mail that out to I'll you? I'll
7: never, I'll never accept another teddy bear. Only Jari. Only, only Timmy. Give me the yeah. teddy bear. Jesus, <laughs> um, I'm not making this up. I didn't think you would be. I'm hurt that you're laughing. I.
0: I, I thought this
7: was a sensitive show. No,
0: I, I know a, Well, it's an easy mistake to make. We're with public radio, but we're a podcast, so we're completely in. So you're completely irreverent. Uh, yeah. We, irreverent. We just laugh. Yeah. We're, we're very bold. And it's like a morning zoo crew. Yeah. Let's stay with sad childhoods just for a minute, I promise. As a teenager, singer-songwriter Amy Mann attempted to channel her turbulent emotions into song. It didn't go well.
12: Well, I think that I was trying to be Dylan, which is just so embarrassing because a 16-year-old trying to be Dylan is like, what is that? You know, like, what is what is your interpretation of that? And I remember writing a song about, like, I guess it was about homeless men. Like, I don't even know, like, I don't even, don't even think I knew, had seen homeless men or, like, hobos, I get, like, uh-huh. where? I don't even know what I was talking about. <laughs> the like, classic
0: 16-year-old girl yeah, theme of hobos. Yeah,
12: that's, like, what, who, are these, who are these old gray men? Like, what is, like, uh, I don't, you know, tramps? Like, I don't yeah. even know what I, I don't even know what I was thinking. If you had said, well, who are these people? I would have gone, like, you know, um, it's just, like, uh, <laughs> well, you know, old gray men who are, like, uh. Uh, that's, it's sad. The world's hard.
0: <laughs> you have to run out of the room. Yeah. <laughs> look, look over there. Exactly. <laughs> hey, it's like I say, sometimes the funny comes from extremely dark places. But I think even Amy's story is not quite as dark as when I was talking with Margaret Cho and we ended up on the topic of tiny neglected dogs
8: you know like when movies like Beverly Hills Chihuahua comes out everybody wants. Well, remember Paris Hilton had Tinkerbell, a right. tiny little dog everybody wanted to get it up then and then the the shelters Then the in LA shelters fill up with filled up with sad chihuahuas with like sh- shirts coming off the shoulder like flash dance like cuz the shirts all stretched out cuz they've been wearing it for a year <laughs> oh, in the street
0: flash dance chihuahuas so,
8: so sad like their little <laughs> shoulders it's so sad as Working well.
0: at the steel mill. Yeah. It's dancing like, on the side. It's a
8: maniac.
0: It's so cute. You know, we never could book Groucho Marx on the show because of the whole dead since 1977 thing. But we did talk to his close friend, talk show icon Dick Cavett. And here's how that interview ended. I think I'll shut up now. Okay.
1: Let me just remind you that leaving a party with Mr. Groucho Marx, the following scene took place. Uh, let's get out of here. And the hostess comes over to the French doors being used as an escape route and says, Well, I'm leaving so soon, Mr. Marx. And Groucho said, I've had a wonderful evening, but this wasn't it. <laughs> 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 I'll get off on that.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Dex, so much. Okay. All right, bye-bye. bye thank you so much for listening. And you know what? You're listening right now. You're listening as I'm talking, which makes you part of the community of Thwad Balls, people listening to the hilarious world of depression. We've seen the ways that you connect and support each other on Twitter and at our live events. And you've told us that you'd like ways to identify each other more in daily life. Spotting Thwad Balls, in the wild, and we listened, we have made swag, we have merch. When you donate to support this show at hilariousworld.org slash donate, that not only helps you feel less alone, it gives you a thank you gift that can make you a clear member of the community. Right, Kate Moose?
1: That's right, John Moe. You can uh, get a depressed state. T-shirt. This is a, a new item that we have are making available. It looks like a college tee, you know, but instead of saying Minnesota State or California State, it says Depressed State. It is really cool. It's gray with orange lettering, has the THWAD logo on back, a gift of $10 a month. will get you the Disp- Depressed State T-shirt, and uh, we'd love you to make that donation at hilariousworld.org slash donate.
0: And that's not all. We also have the THWAD socks. I am wearing the THWAD socks right now, Kate Moose. Are you? Yep. They're orange. They got the little black microphones and teardrops on there. Uh, And it says THWAD right along the sole of the foot for the hilarious World of Depression. We we had to have the longest podcast name in history, you see. Uh, So those are available (laughs) at the $5 a month level. And also we have a little special extra something an enamel pin that says Thwad. It's orange. It's shiny. You will enjoy it. You can attach it to any accessory or item of clothing you like. It's a conversation starter. It's a wink to other listeners. And as a Mental Health Awareness Month special, we will send you one of these pins when you donate any amount. And in fact, if you donate and get the socks or the t-shirt we'll throw in a pin as well. So that's a Mental Health Awareness Month special. Donate by May 31st to take advantage of that deal.
1: You know, it used to be people hid the fact that they struggled with emotional difficulties or mental health issues. And we're uh, here to say those times are over. We all have our struggles. We all have our stories. And being a part of the THWAD community is saying we're going to stand up. We're going to belong to each other. And we're going to struggle and get better. So if this matters to you, become a supporter. Make a donation today at hilariousworld.org slash donate.
0: Check it all out. Make your donation. Hilariousworld.org slash donate. And thanks. Our show is produced by Chrissy Pease. Christina Lopez is our digital producer. Kate Moose, executive producer. Rhett Miller made our theme song. We're on Facebook, where we often have you help us dream up new shows. Season four is on the way. I'm John Moe. Bye now.
4: Might know just the thing There's a performer here in town And he's the world's greatest clown Laughter as we all know is Guy says, Doc, that's the problem. What if I was to tell you I'm Piaget? And this great big smile is just for show. What if I was to tell you this is just grease paint? Would you say I'm a hopeless case? say it ain't so Would you say I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know problem What if I was to tell you I'm Paiachi This great big smile is just for show What if I was to tell you this is just grease paint Would you say I'm a hopeless case Say it ain't so Would you say I'm sad something i don't know would you say i'm a sad clown tell me something i don't know